Welcome everybody to The Future is Remote, a brand new podcast series about the future of work and particularly the shift to remote. I am the self-proclaimed remote evangelist Kenneth Hellem and I'm on a mission to inspire individuals, teams and organizations to accelerate the move to the future. We'll be talking about the pros and cons of remote work, why I believe hybrid is a necessary evil, the gig economy, automation, and AI. You will learn about leadership best practices, how to lead remote teams, and how to optimize your remote game. We'll be hearing from the leaders, thinkers, and doers shaping the future of work in 20-minute bite-sized episodes. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, lean back, and enjoy the show. Today with me in the remote studio, I have no other than Paula Melbourne. Paula is a career coach and global talent professional. She has lived and worked in six countries, UK, Canada, Bermuda, France, and Hong Kong. Just like me, she is currently living in Malaga, Spain. Paula is known for her global mindset, energetic style, and supportive coaching approach. So a big hand of applause and welcome Paula to the show. How are you today? Good morning, Kenneth. I'm great. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is absolutely mine. This is an exciting episode. We're going to talk about not just the future of the work, but we're going to look back into the past. Like what was the history of work? And I'm very excited about learning from your your deep experience in this area over the last 25 years. So it says in your uh, bio that you're a global talent professional. What does that mean? It means that I have helped organizations acquire talent, retain talent, develop talent in many different countries for lots of different types of organizations. So large multinational corporations. And when you say talent, that's the modern word for people, right? It is, but I what think we used to call what we used to call staff back in the days. <laughs> yeah. Bad old days. Yeah, that's that, those terms are pretty outdated. So I think, yeah, there's definitely been a change in that. So talent being helping organizations understand that this isn't just a commodity. This is talent that you need to know how to harness and need to know how to maximize because without talent, your organization cannot deliver. So they say talent is your most uh, important resource, right? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Number one. So, so tell me a little about your, your history. Uh, how did you get into this? What have you been doing and what are you doing? So I studied psychology and sociology in Ottawa in Canada. So my original idea was to be a psychologist or perhaps study law. I was interested in human rights law, but I ended up moving to London when I was 23. I was born in England, so had a British passport, still do. And so I had the opportunity to study and work in London. So I went and so some different things happened, but what ultimately happened next career-wise was that I started working for an organization that was focused on headhunting and assessment. And because of my psychology background, because I wasn't, I hadn't grow up in the UK, they thought it was really beneficial that the way that I assessed people was very impartial. So I did really well on that organization and I continued to, to progress my career more in a human resources direction over the years. And, and you worked in, in large organizations, in small organizations, uh, and, and now you're working primarily by yourself, right? I am. Yeah, I'm self-employed, and my company is called The Maple Leaf Coach. See what I did there? Uh, so, yeah, I, I have a lot of experience in different sectors. I worked in professional services for Deloitte. I worked for law firms, for magic circle firms like Linklater's. I worked in technology for Dell. I worked for an insurance company, Chubb. So really large multinationals, but in different locations. So I lived and worked in Russia, Hong Kong, France, 
Obviously, now I'm in Spain. I was in London for 15 to 20 years. So, and in Toronto. So, having covered lots of different employment markets, you get to understand some of those some of those differences of of how things work. It was a it was a very rich experience that I'm now leveraging so that I can support other people. So, so you've seen it all. I suppose I have. I've seen a lot. I mean, I don't like to say this too publicly when people ask, well, what did you do in corporate life? But truthfully, I hired and fired people around the world. I'm an expert at doing that. But the bit that I really enjoyed was the development part, was the, you know, either building and leading really successful teams or helping organizations really get the most out of their people. That was the really great stuff that I now do. And that's a passion area for myself as well. I mean, I love coaching, teaching, um, building individuals, but, but also highly productive teams. Yeah, absolutely. Be the same. I think it's a, it's a skill set for the future. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I wanted to talk about the future of work. Uh, but before going into the future, I want to look at the history. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go back 10,000 years in time. So, so this is before either Paula and I were active in the field. <laughs> definitely. Um, back in the days where we were hunter-gatherers. So an organization then was really everybody contributing to finding food. People mm-hmm. would roam the plains and just try to survive. That went out for thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. until we invented agriculture, farming, keeping livestock, planting. And suddenly we had to stay in one place. So instead of roaming, we created villages. And in these villages, we created specializations. We got carpenters, we got shoemakers, we got metal workers who would make whatever you needed for village life and to sustain the farms. Okay, and we kept doing that for thousands of thousands of years. We weren't very fast back in those days <laughs> until uh, about the 1800s where we invented the steam engine and factories and what we call the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. So now we had people moving in mass from their villages into cities, into factories. And we created this great mega cities like New York, like London, mm-hmm. like every other city you've heard about because of the industrial revolution. Super interesting times for sure. All of these workers, they needed managers. So we created what we today like to call the knowledge worker mm-hmm. and things like the eight hour work week. So a lot of that came out of the industrial uh, revolution about 300 years ago. And then again, we, we waited a long time for, for the next shift. And the next shift, I think, is what we're seeing now. It didn't start today. It didn't start with the pandemic, but I think it started with technology. So we invented computers, we invented the internet, we invented mobile devices like our beautiful uh, mobile phones and, and laptops, which made it possible to work anywhere. And we had all of that before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic was the accelerator. Yes. Right? What changed everything? Uh, what forced us into this big experiment of, okay, we have the technology, we can't be in an office, how do we get by? And I think that created this remote work movement. So so that's like the quick summary in, in thousands of years. What I wanted to focus on with you today, Paula, is maybe the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a little what you've seen throughout your career, how work has changed. Yeah, that's really insightful. I hadn't thought about the uh, industrial revolution part of it and the part before that. So if I'm if I think back 
to my time in the 90s. So this was a really fantastic time to be working in London. I mean, people would go for lunch and they would drink. Alcohol was normal <laughs> in London in the 90s. I mean, we think about this now that it was acceptable to go out with your colleagues and have drinks, not just after work, but often with your boss, with your colleagues during it. London was like that. So there was no, there was no option of working with one company and being based somewhere else. You worked for the company, you were absolutely physically there. A company would have several branches and several offices, and then they would have people in each of those places. So there were obviously some great things about that because you built great uh, connections with your colleagues. I mean, I have friends in my life now that are the absolute dearest friends that I have had for 20, 25 years because those friendships were built through working very closely together and socializing together. So what I noticed, I guess, in the 10 years after that, when we got to sort of 2000, so 2000, 2010, this is when I started noticing, certainly in London, that different companies, they were putting their headquarters there. So you'd have a company that is an American company or a company that is a Belgian company putting its headquarter in a different location. So I guess the very beginning of what we now call the agile workforce. So your HQ is in one place. Mm -hmm. The production is in one place. The yeah. distribution is perhaps somewhere else. The people are somewhere else. The sales are somewhere else paying taxes. But when I, when I worked in Hong Kong, this was the first time that this was more remote and that, and that was quite rare. And I, one of the best bosses I ever had in my life was an American boss. He lives in Connecticut still. His name is Kent Kirch and he was- Shout out to Kent Kirch. Shout out to Kent Kirch. Yeah. And I, I, I absolutely love that he would hear this. So, um, so Kent Kirch was my boss, but what was so refreshing compared to what I'd experienced previously is that Kent didn't care where I was based. And we used to have this funny conversation every time we would talk, which is at least once a week. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't say, um, how are you first? He'd say, hi, Paula, where are you today? Hmm. And I would tell him and I'd say, well, where are you? So I was in Hong Kong. My boss was in New York, but we were moving and traveling around. So he was, he was leading a global team of which I was one. And then I was for the first time building a team. I was based in Hong Kong, but my team, I only had two people with me in Hong Kong. I had someone else in Amsterdam, someone else in Singapore, someone else in London, another person in Germany. And I hadn't done that until 2010, this, this concept. Um, but my boss was absolutely trusting and supportive. And he was very focused on go out there, build, build an in-house talent team to hire executives. And so, you, so that was what, 13 years ago, what technology yeah. did you use? Was that the phone? Was that a fax? Yes, phone. Were you, were you on the internet? <laughs> like, well, this is pre zoom. I mean, this is pre all of this. So no, it was mostly phones kind of, I mean, that was, we had, we had phone calls on the fixed line. We weren't, we were started using, I had a Blackberry between 2010, 2013. It had that little. Oh, I remember the Blackberry. You remember the, I love the, well, the Blackberry I think with a little rolling ball and everything. The joke we used to call it was the Crackberry. Yeah. When, when you think about this, this is actually quite important when you think about burnout and things like that. So I'm living in Hong Kong in a completely different time zone. That BlackBerry is going all the time. So that was that was a lot of the sharing of information. But yeah, meetings meetings were not video meetings. They were like conference calls where we were all on the phone at the same time in different time zones. But the fact that this was successful and that that big global companies were starting to do this with their teams and starting to harness opportunities in other locations was, you know, really groundbreaking. Were you in a office 
Or, yes. okay, so it was still within the company walls. I was in the office, but when I, after about a year in Hong Kong, I started working from home one day a week. Because so, so you it, were the first remote worker. I was, well, certainly in my team, I was. There weren't very many. So this was the beginning of technology being able to support that. But also I needed to do it because the time zones were quite extreme. So there was, I think, a 12-hour gap between New York and Hong Kong. So there was, I was working a lot into the evenings and different things. So I started doing the, the one day at home. And the technology obviously is not where it is today. But it began to be possible. I remember so, my, yeah. my first job at uh, General Electric. We had conferencing systems. I think it was from Citrix, but one of the giants where we had like big screens in the room and a camera and that yeah. would connect to another office across the, the ocean, which had yes. a big screen and a camera. So, so for the first time you were able to actually see each other, yeah. but it was only within the company structure and the company walls. That's right. Yeah. I've seen that before. No, ours was mostly on the, on the phone. So I could access the email from the server of the organization. You had, to, it was quite hard to crack that the system then. Um, I had to have a special device that I had to use that was attached to my laptop and, and different things in order to actually do that. So what, what made a huge difference wasn't just the tech, but also the, the leadership approach to trust me to build this team and the type of individuals that were in a team, the fact that it didn't matter where they were based, we were just a very good cohesive team. Okay. So you needed some technology. You needed a, a mindset. Yes. Yeah, and you probably needed a global person such as myself who has traveled and lived in other places who understood some of the cultural differences, even on, even as basic as understanding a time zone. I mean, I've actually worked with people who don't even know that this exists because <laughs> they've never actually left their time zone. Hmm? <laughs> So things like that. I mean, that. I, I still find it difficult to, to book meetings across time zones. So, so I forgive them. <laughs> but you know the concept exists. I, I'm aware of it. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, those, those combinations of things. And yeah, trusting people. I mean, I, I think that not, not everybody at that time was suited to it because they hadn't had a boss. Like my team hadn't had a boss in a different location to, to where they were physically located before. So it was, a, it was a new thing for them, for my team. But what I found is that by having weekly meetings where we all were able to share lots of things and look at where we were on track with things and how we were progressing, that if we would have those, then for the next week, everybody just got on and did their, their work. And it I think it requires a, a certain type of person back then, but also today, right? You need to be self-managed. You need to yes. take responsibility, accountability for your work um, and I think that's the skill set they can probably taught and learned. Uh, but, but back in those days, not a lot of people knew how to. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And I, and I believe I set a good example for them that were new to this team to see, you know, how, how can this be done? Rather than what I'd seen before, where the expectation in that situation could be that you're going to fail because the person can't see you and they're not, you know, really, really hands on managing you. Whereas I took the view and certainly my boss, I learned from him that I'm going to absolutely trust that you are going to deliver on this. Should you provide me with any reason where you're, I can see that you're not because you know, you, that you're in control of your, your timing and your scheduling and I'm not there, then we'll have another conversation. But I'll, let's, I'll, let's I'll, imagine I'll, everyone will perform. I'll, I'll trust you until you prove me wrong. Yeah, 
pretty much. So and I think that's good, yeah. right? Because yeah. you give that trust initially instead of having to earn that trust. Absolutely. And, and then you want to deliver. You want to you do uh, it. Show, that, show that you can and, and that you appreciate that level of trust. Absolutely. It's motivating and I think it's empowering for your team. And I think that that's a really important component that people know that they're trusted and, they, and that people know that they're capable of doing it. So they want to do it. They want to show that you can do this. And, they, and I think we wanted to show that we could do this in this way because it hadn't been done before. So that was 13 years ago. You were in Hong Kong. What happened since? Yes. So I relocated back um, in 2013 back to London. And so things obviously changed a lot by the time I got back. And so after that, I joined another big organization, Chubb. So I did that for a while. And then I decided that I wanted to do something I've been wanting to do since I was very young, which was to do a master's degree in human rights. Oh, um, so that's cool. So you worked professionally for, for many, many years. And yeah. then you, did, did you study while working or did you take a break? I actually took a year off. I did it full time. I had the option of doing it two years part time and doing that. But I, I just thought it would be better to focus on it and, and do it because that kind of research, et cetera, is pretty intense. So I took a year off and I went to University of Sussex and I did a master's degree at the age of 45. So, so that was a really, that was a different situation. So what I knew I wanted to do was to do this master's degree, but then start looking at opportunities where my base could be on the coast and then I could work perhaps in a hybrid way, go in a few days a week with some organizations that were open to that. Okay. So that's interesting. So you went to took a master's degree and then you started designing your life, not around what jobs, what work is available. But you started thinking more, where do you want to be? Where do you want to live? Yes, that's a big shift that happened with me around that age and around that time. Uh, having worked for about 20 years by then in corporate life and, you know, doing very long hours and giving so much, I started to shift the balance a bit about my myself and my my well-being and, and various other things. And I, I wanted to be more coastal and I wanted to improve the balance. I, I recognize myself obviously in this i left my dream job at google to move to spain uh to be by the sea to have a view of the ocean but i think we see a lot of people doing this right now the, the great resignation obviously yeah. a catchphrase uh, I, I think it's about people realizing that life is more important than work and and assigning the life first yeah absolutely and i think something that helped me was that I saw some people that were much more experienced than me, partners, for example, in large firms who I had, who I had known for a long time. And I, I knew that they had worked for 25, 30 years to become partner and how hard they worked with the view always that, okay, so when I reach 55, 60, I'm then going to retire. I'm going to retire very comfortably. And then I'm going to enjoy my life and do all these things that I want to do. And sadly, I saw a couple of examples during my career where that didn't happen for those individuals because they became ill and other things happened. And those types of situations made you realize, you know, you, you live your absolute best life now and you don't defer all of these things until the magic retirement date. So, 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 so I joke that I'm retired now. <laughs> right. And I believe in, I believe in micro retirements instead of waiting till you're 55, 60, 65, right? Retire today. Take that sabbatical, take six months off, enjoy your life or yeah. build a life around what, what's important to you. 
So that brings us to the future of work, right? These are the concepts we talk about. When I say the future of work, what does that mean to you? So what I see alongside with the fact that the HQ doesn't matter where it is and where the location of people is, is less important. What you see is much more of a trend where work is organized around projects rather than around roles and responsibilities. Oh, that's interesting. And that is really, really important because organizations are seeing, you know, let's look at the strategy of the organization and where we want to get to. But when you actually do a job audit and you look at how everybody's job and what they do and what the interdependencies are between all these people in order to deliver those results, you can often see that there's a lot of duplication. There's a lot of redundancies of things that don't need to be done, things that can be made more effective with technology, with changing people's jobs, with people working in different locations, managing different teams, centralizing things. There's so much opportunity to ultimately drive efficiency and drive the result, which is less organized around the numbers of hours you're working in a week. My old boss used to say to me, Paula, I don't care if this takes you 10 hours a week or if it takes you 60. Ultimately, we need to achieve that objective. So, so what would be your advice to organizations wanting to retain and attract talent? Well, they need to get their head around the remote, remote working um, aspect, if they haven't already. Companies that are against remote would typically have a leadership culture of presenteeism. And presenteeism is dead. It's, it's gone. And if people hold on to that, ultimately, they will lose their employees. They will lose them. And they will, they will be able to go to another competitor organization and do well. There's enough opportunity out there. So presenteeism is dead, but there are some organizations and cultures that are holding on to that. Why? Because their leadership approach is that the only way that I can measure you and understand what you're doing is to have you right in front of me. And they don't trust their employees to do it without seeing them. So how do we fix that? Well, ultimately, those, in, those individuals are leaving. So when individuals are leaving organizations, they're giving feedback about what's happening. They're asking for flexibility. They're asking for hybrid working and they're getting pushback. So what's happening is organizations are now feeling you know, the effects of this because the people that they want, they can't hold on to. And then they're, they're going to lose market share because that talent will go elsewhere and those other organizations will benefit. So this ultimately is dying out. And the dinosaur leaders that are pushing this they're dying out as well. So, so I want to be helpful. I, I don't want the big companies to die. I want them to be better. So, so I truly believe that, just like you said, leaders of the past want people to come back to the office because it's the only way they know how to lead. Yes. That, that's all they know. But, but that doesn't mean they can't learn. So I think we should start a massive training program across the globe for all dinosaur leaders. It's already happening. And it's teach already them happening. How, to, how to work remotely. It's already happening. So some of the leadership programs of the organizations I'm connected with as an associate, this is what they're doing. A good way I find is to give people like a pilot. So this is powerful. So if an organization or particular leader is very, very resistant and is adamant that it will not work on a hybrid basis, then I propose to say, okay, let's take these particular two roles and let's try this for three months. And then let's measure the productivity and the output in three months. And either you're right or you're wrong. But let's try it. And you know when you do this that they will be productive and it will work. And you put everything in place so that it can be. But it has to be proven to them. And if it can be proven to them, they'll be open-minded to do it. 
I think that's a good uh, good spot to wrap it up, Paula. Um, we've talked about the past. We've talked about the future. Uh, we've touched about some of the benefits and, and some of the challenges with remote work. So I'll end it by just saying thank you very much for, for joining me on the show today, for, for sharing your experience. You're welcome. It was a great pleasure. We covered a lot of topics. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the wonderful Paula Melbourne. Remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn. Also, if you're interested in speaking engagements, I do inspirational TED Talk formats for uh, team events, customer events, and kickoffs. So check me out at kenneth-hellum.com. But for now, thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Future is Remote. I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you in the future.